Good morning, everyone. If you could, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. We're going to be on verses 40 through 52 as we continue to go through the book of John. John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 happened pretty much primarily around the same time. It is during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and we'll get more into that in just a moment. But if you uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 7, just to kind of review where we were at last week, Uh, We only covered a few verses last week. I'll basically read them again and just kind of recap that. Uh, Verses 37 through 39 is where we were at last week. John 7, 37 through 39. Which says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So those are the passages we looked at last week. Again, Jesus has come to Jerusalem during this mandatory, required by the law of God to come back to Jerusalem to attend this festival, right? It is required. Everyone, every, A male from every household has to come to this has to come to the Pentecost, has to come to the Passover, three primary festivals or feasts. And so this is the Feast of Tabernacles. We've reviewed it quite a bit. But we find that they have to uh, build a temporary structure. They bring their structure. They're even given this uh, exact um, uh, what it's supposed to be made out of. They, From wherever you live, you come back to Jerusalem with your temporary structure, kind of like a tent. They're set up all along the sides of the streets. On the flat roof buildings, they're put up there as well. And the main point of this Feast of the Tabernacles was to recall back when God caused Egypt to let go, to release Israel out into the desert. And there they had no permanent home, but God provided for them. And they lived in tents. And there was a tabernacle there in the middle where God himself dwelt. Okay, And during this time, they are to go over in great detail all that went on during that time. And one of the key points, several key points there, there was a the provision of manna. Uh, there was also the provision of light, which we'll get into next Sunday. And there was also the provision of water from a rock. And that during this time, for several hundred years leading up to Jesus' time here at the temple, there was actually a water ceremony where they recalled these things every day. And they recalled the water coming from the rock. So it was taught verbally, and it was also visually. And here, Jesus stands up, and it's not out of the blue that he says such a thing. Once you realize the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, and what what the liturgy was, what the priests were talking about, what was there before the people visually, when he says, on the last day, he cried out and stood up, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's all in connection to that. And again, what is he saying? He is the greater rock. He is the fountain of life that we must go to, that we must drink from if we want to live. As the Israelites were about to die from a lack of water, and they would have died if God had not provided that water, so they will, we will die spiritually. We will be remain dead. We will not be quenched unless we come to the rock, we come to the fountain. All right, then we went on to talk about last week as well, that there is a, a massive difference in the uh, Old Covenant and New Covenant application of the Holy Spirit, and because uh, he talks about this here, that there will be an internal effect to those who believe in him. Out of his heart will flow 
rivers of living water. But verse 39, John gives us the commentary on that, that that had not happened yet. So the believers in front of him, the Old Testament believers, something was going to happen in the new covenant that was unlike the old covenant. It had not happened yet. And we spent a lot of time talking about that last week and in discipleship as well. Uh, the Holy Spirit regenerates both, but there does seem to be a difference in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that accompanies the new covenant. And uh, we're not going to get into great detail with that today. If you missed that, go back and listen to last week, all right? Uh, let's move on to the passages today, verse 40 through 52. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word to study, to meditate, to focus on today. God, we thank you that you have made it abundantly clear that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and through belief in him we can have eternal life, that he is the one that our souls must go to, that we must go to, to drink from, and to realize that he is far more than just a man, far more than just a prophet, far more than a good man, that he is God in the flesh. We thank you for sending such a great salvation to us, Lord, as we study the scriptures today and dive into this. As so many people were divided and thinking about who this Jesus is, help us to rest assured that you have made it abundantly clear exactly who he is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, this, the, the passage that we're in today, if you've missed a Sunday or two and now you find yourself back, you might uh, have that, uh, that feeling of deja vu type thing, all right? Because there is high repetition through the book of John. Uh, people learn by repetition, 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 right? And John seems to have that in mind. But also you see the same issues arising. Who is Jesus? And we cover, we've covered it multiple times. And here we're going to cover it again. All this comes to a, to a big point. It's who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? What is his identity? And we can note today that the people were highly divided over Jesus, which has not changed a great deal in today's times as well. There's always much division over the name of Jesus. You could have a room full of people who are getting along just right and stand up and say, who do you say Jesus is? And there's going to be a war in that room in just a few moments. Why is that? Because there is division around the name of Jesus. It's not the name itself, right? But it's how what comes after that, the definition of who the people believe Jesus to be. And that's exactly what's happening in today's passage. And uh, it is extremely important 
that our faith is in the right Jesus, not a fake Jesus that we have made up or a limited definition of Jesus where we leave out critical information that God has given. If you think back to John chapter 6, uh, John chapter 6 starts off with thousands of people following Jesus. Many theologians estimate there's 20,000 people actually following Jesus at that time. And they, they call him the, the miracle worker. They're following him because he's a great miracle worker. He feeds them. Next thing you know, they call him the prophet. Next thing you know, they want him to be the king of Israel. Uh, the, he leaves, goes across the sea. The, many of them chase him down there. They come up to him and ascribe him the title of rabbi, teacher, right? So he begins to teach them. I am the bread of life that is greater than the bread of, of manna that, came, that God gave to the Israelites. And you must eat of me to live. And where do the crowds go? They all leave, leaving only the disciples behind. What happened, right? They had all these titles for him. They thought he was this, thought he was this, thought he was this. Then when he tells them who he is, they turn and walk away. Here in John chapter 7, you see something again, repetitive, very similar. Uh, John chapter 7, if you look back at verse 13, uh, let's see, John seven thirteen. 13. Uh, the people are calling him a good man, right? And then if you go on down the line, just right after that, it says, no, he is leading the people astray. So people are acknowledging, oh, he's a good man. And then others in the same crowd are saying, no, he's a divider. He is causing great division. And he's actually trying to lead people astray, leading them away from God. There in John chapter 7, we also noted that Jesus had brothers. They believed in Jesus as their brother, but they did not believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. And we looked how later, though, in the book of Acts, we see that they are true believers in who Jesus fully is. So this continues on through the book of John. John chapter 7 is just like this. If you look down at verse 20 in John chapter 7, you see that some people even said that Jesus had a demon, that Jesus, the Son of God, had a demon. So the opinions are all over the board. There are these great titles. There are these horrible titles. He's a deceiver. He's trying to lead people astray. He has a demon. Others are saying... Oh, maybe he's the, pro uh, the, the prophet. Maybe he's, he's going to be the king. He's a rabbi. He's a good man, right? He's a miracle worker. And they're, they're trying to get the definition. But some people don't want the right definition. That's what we'll find out today. So who is Jesus? Important for them to decide and also to make sure you know who the real Jesus is. Look at verse 40. Let's read through verse 44. So when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem and the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on them. So today we're going to look at, Four uh, things, titles that Jesus is called, all right, or not called, we'll find out in a moment. Uh, but number one, all right, there in verse 40, uh, we see that people are referring to him as the prophet. This really is the prophet, all right? And you'll notice in your English translation there, the P is capitalized. Uh, this is the prophet. There's a definite article before the, pro the, pro the word prophet. So here they're not just saying that he is a prophet. 
Uh, sometimes that has happened before. They're calling him Jeremiah. They're calling him Elijah. They're calling him one of the prophets, all right? But here they're saying he, must, he really is the prophet. And again, this might be repetitive if you've been here, but if not, I want you to make sure you catch what they're saying. Hold your place there and look over at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. This is an extremely important prophecy that the people were aware of, and it came from the lips of Moses himself. Moses was indeed a great, great historical figure. Uh, the, the, even the Pharisees still said that they sat in Moses' seat as they judged, as they looked for those uh, rule violators, violators. And so Moses was the name uh, of the Old Testament, you might say, Abraham as uh, was Moses. But here Moses talks about a greater prophet that's going to come that's even greater than him. So Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Let's look at that. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, uh, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. You want to underline that, highlight it, emphasize it. What shall you do when this prophet comes? Listen, all right? Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Oreb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So what we see in this prophecy, again, very well known, is that they expected the prophet to come. And if you remember, we have this right around 400 years of silence between the Old Testament, between the New Testament, uh, last prophecies involving that there was going to be an announcer, a herald that is going to come to announce the Messiah. The New Testament era opens up with not the birth of Jesus, but the announcement of John the Baptist, who's going to be an Elijah-type figure, a prophet who is going to announce the Messiah that has come, right? And so there's all this silence, but yet they still expected this, the prophet, the great prophet that was to come. Now, Jesus is on the scene of all historical figures in the Old Testament. Jesus is surpassing all of them and performing far more supernatural signs, miracles, and wonders than all of them combined. And it puts him in a category, the only other person really that was doing anything similar. You have Elijah and Elisha, but Moses on a grander scale. So they're thinking this must be it. They're connecting the dots. They're seeing the signs. He must be the prophet, right? And we saw this in John chapter 6. Look back at verse 14. After Jesus had fed the multitude, people saw the sign. And literally says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, to think on that, to some degree, they were connecting the dots correctly. They were seeing the signs done. They reminded them of the great signs done by Moses. God did through Moses. And uh, they're connecting the dots and this must be that prophet that was announced, that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, but they miss something vital. They see that he's performing the signs. And people just can't do this. You can't give me a few loaves of bread, tiny biscuits as they were, and a few little sardines and me feed 
uh, thousands of people, right? I, I can't do this. It's supernatural. And the signs that Jesus were, was, were doing, they're supernatural. What were they supposed to do? People are supposed to see those signs and realize God has authenticated this person like he did Moses. Moses had the three signs that God gave him to go validate him and the message that he was bringing from God. I can't do these things, but God through me is doing these so that you will listen to me. So when the great prophet comes, the prophet comes, what are the people supposed to do? They're supposed to listen to him. Now, here in John chapter 6, or there in John chapter 6, we looked at a few weeks ago, we see they call him the prophet with their mouth, but when it comes to opening up their ears and listening, they don't do it. In fact, they all abandon him as he begins to teach that he is the bread of life. You must eat of him, that he is exclusively the only way to heaven. And they do not listen. They shut their ears and they walk away. So we see that they were willing to call him the prophet, but yet they were not willing to do what they were supposed to do if they truly acknowledged him as the prophet. Now, in, in uh, Acts chapter 3, turn over there with me. Acts chapter 3. We notice in John and elsewhere in the New Testament, you'll, you'll see people calling Jesus either, but not together usually, the prophet or the Christ. And a lot of, lot of the Jews thought that these, these people were separate. They thought there was going to be a, a capital the prophet, and there was also going to be a the Christ, but not together. And in Acts, uh, Peter combines these really well for us so that we know clearly, as he, he puts his commentary, interpreting the Old Testament through the light of the New Testament here, and lets us see that Jesus is the prophet and the Christ. Look what he says here in Solomon's portico at the temple as the man has been healed. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he does fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, and here's the quotation from Deuteronomy 18, the Lord will God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that for every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So here, Peter combines both. He's talking about the Christ that has come. He is fulfilled. They are to repent. They're to turn back so their sins may be blotted out. He is the prophet. What is he doing connecting these dots together? He said, you must listen to the Christ because he is also the prophet. And if you don't listen and obey him, you're going to be cut off from the people of God in a far greater way than there in Israel. So is Jesus the prophet of Moses' prophecy? Answer is yes, he is definitely. What should people do? They should listen. That was the whole point of the prophecy. Listen to him or suffer the consequences, right? That's what Peter says here as well. All right, so some people are saying that he is the Christ. Uh, also, we see in the passage there in John chapter 7, uh, go back there with me if you don't mind, in John chapter 7, 
uh, verse forty. There we are. Uh, the that he is the Christ, and some say that he is not the Christ. So we're going to kind of look at those. For number two, we're going to say we're going to look at the fact that some are saying that he is not the Christ, and the reason they're saying that Jesus is not the Christ. Uh, there's basically two reasons. One of them, they're accusing him of not being from Bethlehem, but being from Galilee. And Jesus was known, as we just looked at earlier, he had spent months in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. And so he did so much ministry there that he is often nicknamed Jesus of Galilee. And, and not only from Galilee, but Jesus of Nazareth, which is a city there in the Galilean area. So they're saying that he is from Galilee, he is from Nazareth, people know this, and he is not from Bethlehem. Now, why is that important? Because if he's not born in Bethlehem, that disqualifies him from being the Christ, from being the Messiah. So what's fascinating about our Bible versus any other book on the earth is all the prophecy that is there and all the all of the pre uh, uh pre-prescribed, you might say, uh, prophecies that the people are supposed to look at to see if the Christ, this person was the Christ. And so you have this list of things that must happen, that he must do, even regarding his birth, right? Uh, from his birth to his life to his death to how he would die, to all, all these things that have to happen as God would speak to a prophet, announce a prophecy, and that would be a messianic or, or, or Christological prophecy, had to come true. If it didn't, he's not the Christ. So here, they're the most likely, the, the Jewish authorities who've been causing grief so far are spreading this, that he's not from Bethlehem. He's from Galilee. And so who could come from Galilee? That's certainly not a prophet. No prophet can come from Galilee, right? So they know that he is to be from Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is on the screen for you today. Uh, that prophecy from the prophet Micah. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Yes, and we looked at that just a couple of weeks ago uh, when the wise men come and they ask, where is the, the Christ to be born? And the scribes all say, oh, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. And, the, and they go off to check it out while the scribes stay put. <laughs> uh, but they, they go to check. They knew these things, right? So was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Absolutely, he was born in Bethlehem. This is that they're spreading a rumor. Instead of going to Jesus, they could have just asked him directly, where were you born? They try to spread a rumor because they don't want him to be the Christ, that he's from Galilee. Uh, also, the second thing, the second reason that they say that he is not the Christ is because they say that he is not descended from David. And why is this important? Because, again, it is a prophecy, and the Christ must be from the lineage of David. If he is not from the lineage of David, he is not the Messiah. So we find that, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. Feel free to turn there with me. It's a little bit to read. If you're having trouble finding it, 1 Samuel is right before it. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. 
And here again, you have a prophet, the prophet Nathan, who God has given a prophecy regarding David and regarding his lineage and how the Christ is going to come from him. And this is repeated in several other, several other books of the Old Testament as well, but here it begins, all right? Second Timothy, Samuel 7, 12 through 16. Nathan speaking to David says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to God. So this prophecy was well known. It was carried on through other prophets as well that would mention this. They knew that Christ, the Messiah, the one to come, that would have a forever kingdom. Did David's kingdom last forever? No. Uh, did Solomon's kingdom last forever? No, but Christ's kingdom is going to last forever. So this one that is going to come, they're connecting this prophecy to the Christ. So people are looking for someone who is from Bethlehem, who is also from the lineage of David. So oftentimes we, many years later, look at the Gospels and we see this long line of lineage that's there. And we think, how boring is this? And it's like it's your devotion time for the day or you're doing a reading through the Bible in a year and, the, and you turn to open it up and you just have lineage and names all day. It's like, uh, what am I supposed to get from this, God, right? You're supposed to get and understand that they were wrong here because Jesus is from Bethlehem. He is from the line of David. And we take those names for granted now, this big list of, of names, but actually it's extremely important. Because Jesus had to be from the line of David. And all that's laid out there for us. So the reasons for him not being the Christ and causing this division, there is no need for this division at all. Jesus has come. He has fulfilled the prophecies. You even have the one like Elijah, John the Baptist, announcing him, heralding him before he comes. Everything is in place. He's been born in the right place. He has been of the, of the lineage of David. Let's move on to number three, this division among the people. Other people in verse 41 say that he actually is the Christ. So quite the opposite. You have some who are saying, you know what, he, he actually is the Christ. And we believe that he is the Christ. So it is certainly worth pointing out that those who uh, believe that Jesus was the Christ had overcome some fears apparently by letting their beliefs be vocalized. Here we find that they are saying, professing out loud that Jesus is the Christ. But if you look back at chapter 7, verse 13, just look back at verse 13. Um, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So again, we saw this division up there in, in 7.10 through verse 13, that there was again division about who Jesus was, is he a good man, or is he leading people astray? And yet verse 13 says, yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And we find out in chapter 9 that people will actually be kicked out of the synagogue. They'll be kicked out of the Jewish religion if they say that Jesus is the Christ. 
So they spoke softly. They weren't talking out loud about these things. Yet, in verse 41, John records, others said, this is the Christ. So what happens between verses 13 and verse 41? I think that they actually listened when Jesus spoke. Because if you look back at the verses we're looking at today, uh, look back at verse uh, 40. Look back at verse 40. Uh, and, and so when they heard these words, what are these words that were heard? The words right before that is what we just, just looked at. It's verse 37, verse 38, verse 39, where Jesus says, If any of you thirst, come to me. And he, he teaches on this. The visual aid has been happening all week. The Feast of Tabernacles has been happening right there. The focus and recap of the Exodus, the Israelites, God providing water for them. He says, come to me and drink. So I, I theorize that some have actually heard this and that some are listening to this. Some are drinking of him slash believing in him. So that in verse 41, others said, now, without fear of the Jews, this is the Christ. Jesus had taught. They had listened to the prophet. And now they're acknowledging that he is the Christ. So this is a big change. They were willing to say these things. Their fear had been overcome by faith. So some are acknowledging. There's not a great commentary given to us here, but it does look like some are acknowledging out loud that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, number four, in the same passage, some are claiming that Jesus is actually a criminal. So if you look down in verse 43, they're wanting to arrest him, wanting to lay hands on him uh, so that he is They're saying that he's a criminal. So again, great division. He is the Christ. He is not the Christ. Uh, he maybe has a demon. He is the prophet. Uh, maybe he's the king. Maybe he's a rabbi. Maybe he's, what, what is he? And here they're at the, on the polar opposite of that. They're saying he is actually a criminal. So from Christ to criminal. So what is the crime that Jesus had committed that is worthy of arrest or to be put to death? Um, Jesus professed to be exactly who he was. That's it. He just would say who he was. And when he said who he was, they wanted to put him to death. Uh, look at Matthew 26, 63 through 68. We're getting ahead of the story, but if you guys don't know this, Jesus is later arrested and put to death and rises from the dead. All right. So but Matthew 26, we're going to fast forward, catch a glimpse of this as we're working our way through the book of John. Hopefully because I've given the story away, it doesn't, doesn't change the suspense here. But uh, we know the story. We know that he was arrested, right? And we know that it was a fake mock trial. Uh, kangaroo court, whatever you want to say, that the Sanhedrin put on. So you have the Sadducees, the Pharisees, you have the, uh, most of the members of the Sanhedrin that ran the temple, the 71, there at this, so after they've arrested him. And let's see. So here, here's what they bring before him as the crimes that he has committed that are so bad that they wanted to arrest him that he deserves to die about. Um, look at verse 63. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, pause right there just for a moment. If you remember John's big thematic, climactic summary statement of the gospel, John 20, verse 31, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? This is what we are to believe. 
here in Matthew, the high priest is saying these things, not out of true belief, but he's trying to put him to death, trying to get Jesus to state these things. So 63, I interrupted. Let me go back. Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? This is amazing. This is what they arrest him for. This is what they put him to death for. Why? Because when asked, if you are the Christ, the Son of God, he says, you have said so. In other words, he agrees. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Then he lets them know, the next time you see me, I'm going to be on the clouds of judgment, taken from Daniel chapter 7, that he is going to be the one whom the Ancient of Days gives all power, gives all authority to, and that they are going to be under his judgment. He tears his clothes and says, you've committed blasphemy, right? No, Jesus is just stating facts. This is who I am. Uh, people either love who Jesus is or they hate who Jesus is. And here, this they absolutely hate him. They spit in his face. They slap him across the face. And then they start the process of putting him to death because they hate who Jesus is. Those who are saved accept Jesus for who he is. Those who are not saved reject and redefine him. And long story short, the people that Jesus was crying out to, to uh, and, and teaching that day had many divided opinions. And, uh, and what we find is opinions are not all equal, no matter what people say today. We live in a highly relativistic society. You'll hear things like, well, my Jesus, or, or my Jesus, and, and they'll claim that they have almost their own personal Jesus, and they define Jesus however they want to. Uh, opinions are just opinions. We need facts. And you must believe in the Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. And when you take away the biblical definition of Jesus, you're left with the Jesus of your own making. That is an idol. That is an idol. It's the same as carving up a piece of wood and bow down to that and worshiping that. If you carve away who Jesus truly is and create your own Jesus, you have just fashioned your own God and you're bowing down to that. No, we must take the biblical definition of who Jesus is and believe in him for salvation. Look back at uh, John chapter 7, verse 45. John 7, verse 45. We'll read through 47. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Notice that exclamation point at the end. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? So the guards previously, we recall, have been sent out to go arrest Jesus. The Pharisees and Sadducees do not want to engage him. Maybe they, we, don't, we don't know exactly why. They don't want to, the people to think that they are the ones getting him or don't want to be involved or they don't want to be stupefied again with Jesus talking to them. So they just sit 
behind their columns, behind the big bricks, and just say, hey, temple guards, go get them. Now, these guards are not just, uh, they're not, they, they, they are special. They're Levitical uh, guards uh, prescribed from God in the Old Testament. The Levites were to guard the tabernacle. They were to guard the temple. This continued on. So the Levites had been around the temple, had been around the Sanhedrin, had heard the teaching of the Pharisees, had heard the teaching of the Sadducees on a regular daily basis. It was common. They were there all the time together. So when the, they come back and say, no one ever spoke like this man, that's why we have not arrested him, uh, this is not going to go over well with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, right? They were the most important one. They knew the word. They knew the law. They were judging everyone. And for them to come back and say, none of you speak like this guy. Like, we could not even arrest him. We were stupefied, marveled by what he was saying. And this is the reason that they did not arrest him. No one has ever spoken like him. Uh, we do see this uh, recorded in Matthew and Luke in a similar way as far as uh, how Jesus spoke. Look at Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the, crowd, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. All right, hold that in your mind. Look at Luke 4, 31 through 32. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. So what made Jesus' teaching different from everyone else's? It was this authority. But it's not just being assertive. It's not just that he was pounding a pulpit or something like that. He was speaking with a higher authority. They could see that this was not like a prophet spoke when a prophet would say, Thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament, and they would say what the Lord said, right? This is not like the scribes' teaching where they would, they would refer back to previous great teachers and great scribes. They might refer to Gamaliel, a great scribe, as he once said, and this is what he thinks about this passage. But instead, you're getting one who's speaking as if he is God. He is speaking with a different authority than every other teacher they have ever witnessed. And when the guards come back and say, we didn't arrest him, because we've never heard anyone speak like this before. Think about what they had just heard. They just heard him stand up, cry out, if any of you thirst, come to me. Drink of me. No other prophet has ever said that. Uh, no other member of the Sanhedrin has ever said something like that. He is speaking with an authority that is beyond everyone else. He is saying, come drink of me. I will give you eternal life. I will be the fountain of life. I will be the water. I will be the rock. It, he is claiming a different authority than everyone else is claiming. So this is very, very high teaching. Jesus is claiming, I am the manna. No one else has ever claimed that, right? Jesus is saying, I am the water, though the giver of the water, the spiritual life. No one has ever claimed that before. And here next week, we'll see that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light. And no one is claiming this except for he speaks in a whole different level because he is God. So uh, the high authority, yet the, the, those involved look back. What do they say about the guards? They say, uh, they, Pharisees answered him, verse 47. 
have you also been deceived? So it's kind of a trick question, right? It's like they're, they're shutting the mouths of the guards quickly uh, before they can say anything positive about Jesus. They immediately say the, the official religious high up say, have you also been deceived? So they say those who listen to, again, what are you supposed to do when the prophet comes? Listen to him. Those who listen to him have been deceived. They're saying the opposite of what should be done. Look at verse 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So he's still, they're referring back to these guards. Have you been deceived as well? And, and look, we, this is extreme arrogance and pride here, we, the Sanhedrin, we, the Pharisees, we, the Sadducees, we, the great scribes of the Old Testament, of God's, God's, God's rules, God's law, God's prophecies, we are the spiritual know-it-alls of Israel. And none of us have said, this is the Christ. So you guys have not, are not, we haven't said it, and we'll tell you who it is when they do come, but this is definitely not the Christ. Now, uh, what reasons do they give that the people are actually believing that Jesus is the Christ? Look at that passage again. That they are, uh, they are, they are ignorant. Look what he said, verse 49. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're calling them ignorant. They're calling them dumb. They're calling them uneducated. They are the spiritual high ups, and none of the authorities, the Pharisees, have acknowledged that this is the Christ. So the, those who say that he is the Christ, it's only because they don't know the law of God. Now, the law of God is used in different ways as we look at the Bible. It doesn't, it, here it seems to be most likely, given the prophecies that John just, just gave us, the, the, the debate about Jesus' birthplace, uh, the ba debate about Jesus being from the line of David, most likely he's not referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, but the entire what we would call the Old Testament perhaps at this time when he uses the word law here. So he's saying they, they don't even know God's rules, God's laws, God's prophecies. They don't even know them. They're ignorant. They're dumb. Just listen to us. Now, what's the second reason? Uh, look in verse 49. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They don't know the word of God which as we've proven, actually Jesus is from Bethlehem. He is from the line of David. He is fulfilling everything that God said he must fulfill to meet the, the Christ qualifications. But also here they say that the people who believe that he is the Christ, they are accursed. What does it mean when they say that they are accursed? This is, this is the modern day equivalent of, of someone saying go to the, the hot place, all right? This is what they're saying. They're saying, you are accursed by God. The people who claim that Jesus is the Christ, they're the ones that deserve the full wrath, full curse. They are cursed by God. They're going to be eternally damned by God. These are those people. And you notice how they're constantly flipping things completely the opposite, right? So here, they're saying that the, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ is accursed. Actually, the only way to have the curse removed is through the one that they're, they're wanting to kill. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Only through him can I, he be, uh, our sins be forgiven. Will our sins be put on him? 
so that God's wrath passes over us. The only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. So actually, the ones who are believing that Jesus is the Christ, they're not scripturally ignorant. They're right on. They're not actually accursed by God. They are blessed by God. As God told Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for man has not revealed this to you, but God, right? So they are blessed by God, not accursed by God. Now, the next passage, look at verse 50. Really interesting. Out of nowhere, you have a name that comes up again. Nicodemus. Look at verse 50 through 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So out of the blue here, you have Nicodemus mentioned. Now, just earlier they said, none of us, none of the authorities, none of the authorities, uh, Pharisees, etc., have said that this is the Christ. But then John records a little chink in their armor, right? It's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of them. What does that mean? He's one of, <coughs> and this is how we find out as well, you put this with John chapter 3, he is one of the primary teachers of Israel. He is one of them, meaning that he is one of the 71, the members of the Sanhedrin. He is one of them. Uh, so he does not boldly just come out and say at this point, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the prophet, the son of God. Uh, but he does at least uh, want them to judge him correctly so that he still has faith. He, in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus. And says, right, I know you're sent from God. How does he know he's sent from God? Because of the signs that you are performing. Man can't do this. You're sent from God. So he knows that he is at least sent from God. So here he is defending, him, defending Jesus enough here, or to a degree, where he says, listen, we, we are the ones who supposedly sit in the seat of Moses. We are the ones who supposedly uh, have right judgments. In order to have a right judgment in this situation, we need to do it as God has laid out in his law. So there should be a right judgment. Look at verse 51. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And what is their reply? Do they say, oh, good point. Let's do that. No, they replied, are you from Galilee too? And we recall that Galilee is just like, it is a way they continually try to make themselves, raise themselves up and put others down. Galilee was not known for people with great educations. And they were, they were kind of looked on as, as the lower class. And we see that Jesus was not that concerned, or the upper class, you might say, were not that concerned with Jesus. Jesus is with the sinners. Jesus is with the poor. And Jesus is in Galilee, spending much of his ministry there, not in Jerusalem. So they slam Nicodemus here, saying, oh, you must be from Galilee also. And it is a slam. It's a cut down again on that they're trying to cut down Nicodemus. Now, the point of all this is, again, in chapter 7, as we're closing it out, it's continuing on back in John chapter 6 as well. There is great division about who Jesus is. Now, for us today, what does this mean? It means who a person believes Jesus to be is critical for their salvation. 
you can't be just picking one of these things and, and saying you believe in Jesus and that is sufficient because you can, you, again, create a Jesus who is not the biblical Jesus and that Jesus can save no one because he's a fig newton of your imagination, right? It's not the real Jesus. So we must believe in this Jesus that John is presenting. God did many, gave many identifying qualifications that the Christ would have to fulfill, including being born in Bethlehem, including being from the line of David. Thus, Jesus fulfilled them all. Uh, while there will always be people with different opinions on who Jesus is, we can rest assured knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And as we looked at today, that he is also our Passover lamb. The wrath, the curse that we deserve has been put on him. He has given us his righteousness so that we can have eternal life through him. This is our Christ. This is our Savior. This is the one who put on flesh, became man, who lived a righteous life, who died, who rose again, ascended into heaven, and will be the judge of all mankind. This is our Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to appreciate uh, the clarity of your word as there are so many divisions and so many people then and both now who create their own definition of Jesus or have, or have a limited Jesus or want to believe that he is only a good man or only a prophet. God, help us as we strive to witness to them. Help us to, to teach them, Lord. Help us to be patient. Help us to be gracious. Help us to be uh, kind as we clarify who Jesus truly is. Everyone has an opinion on who Jesus is. Everyone claims to know Jesus to some degree. But as we've looked at today and in the weeks past, uh, th that's not saving. That is not sufficient. Help us to be able to teach the gospel of who Jesus truly is and what he has done to bring salvation. And we thank you, God, for sending the Christ, sending the prophet, and sending the one who is God and man, and Lord, help us to not do what they did when they acknowledged him as the prophet but didn't listen to him. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to listen. Help us to submit to the authority of the prophet by submitting to the word of God. In Jesus' name.